You can't solicit my employees or my customers. If you do, you'll pay. Or will you? Are non-solicitation agreements really enforceable? If not, then what is? Let's talk about it. Listen up. Hey, it's Brad Gross coming at you with another technology broadcast. If you're a service provider and you want to learn some things, give me a few minutes. You're going to learn a lot. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Technology Bradcast. I'm Brad Gross, the Sultan of Service Contracts, and your educational partner for MSP-related content. So thanks for joining me today as we explore non-solicitation provisions and discuss what they are and how they should be written and whether they're even enforceable. It's definitely a hot topic because the economy is heating up, companies are looking for the best and the brightest, and you know where they find the best and the brightest? That's right, in your company, among your employees. So let's get into it. What is a non-solicitation agreement and how does it work? A non-solicit agreement is usually a provision inside of a larger contract. I mean, it could take up an entire contract, right? But it's generally a provision inside of a larger agreement, like uh, an employment agreement or a services agreement, in which one side says to the other, once our relationship is over, you can't hire my employees or you can't work with my customers for a certain period of time. MSPs often make non-solicit provisions a condition of their employee's job, meaning the provisions are part of an employment contract with the employee, and that's meant to protect the MSP from having its customers poached by an outgoing employee. That's understandable, right? We want to give employers a degree of assurance that they can conduct business without having to worry about an employee quitting and then taking all of the employer's staff and clients. I mean, that makes sense. Who who would be opposed to that? Who would actually oppose a contractual promise that gives solace and security to employers who take all the risk by allowing employees to have direct communications and direct relationships with their customers? Uh, Actually, lots of people oppose it. Employees oppose it. Judges oppose it. Lawmakers oppose it. Pretty much everyone who is not an employer opposes non-solicitation agreements with employees because if the agreements do their job, then someone, somewhere, is prevented from leveraging his or her business relationships to make a living. Within the past few years, many states have taken aim at non-solicitation restrictions, even going so far, ready for this, in Colorado. Legislatures have made restrictions like these punishable criminally under certain circumstances. Yes, a misdemeanor in Colorado if an employer presses forward with an otherwise illegal non-solicitation agreement against a former employee. Some states like Maine, Maryland, uh, New Hampshire, Rhode Island, Washington have banned non-compete agreements for low-wage workers, and they've included non-solicitation along with it. Nevada has basically eliminated the enforceability of non-solicit agreements with hourly workers. And Illinois uh, Illinois just passed a law that prohibits enforcing non-solicitation restrictions against employees who earn less than $45,000 a year. And that amount will likely go up a few thousand dollars in the next year or so. So, what's an MSP to do? Can you still enforce a non-solicit against an employee? The answer is... 
It depends on what state you're in and how it's written. Now look, there are some states like California and Colorado where it is simply too difficult to enforce a non-solicit agreement with an employee. So to employers and MSPs in those states, I would say, don't bother. Everywhere else, I would say the following. First, always have the non-solicitation provision checked by counsel because laws change all the time. And this is not a do-it-yourself kind of thing. Something that was enforceable just a year or two ago might not be enforceable today. So keep that in mind. Second, your non-solicitation agreements, in my view, should not be longer than a year. One year. Now, you might say, I want it longer than that, or my state allows for non-solicitation provisions to be enforced for more than a year. And if you're saying or thinking that, then my response is, perhaps your state does allow for more than a year, but you're pushing it. Remember, courts don't like these provisions. So pushing to the outer boundaries of enforceability, in my view, is not recommended. The longer the restriction period, the more likely it is that an employee will challenge it, and the more likely it is that you'll be asked to justify that period. So, stick to a year or less. Third, if you fire an employee without cause, then I would make sure that the non-solicit period, right, that period of time in which the employee is restricted, make sure that that period is the lesser of one year or the amount of time that the employee worked for you. Let me repeat that. The non-solicit period should be the lesser of one year or the amount of time that the employee worked for you. So, for example, if an employee works for you for three months and then you fire that person without cause, then your non-solicit restriction should be reduced to match the term of employment, which in this case would be three months. That is fair right? Hiring somebody for three or four months, firing them without cause, and then requiring them to stick to a non-solicitation provision that's three, four, five times longer than that, it's probably not fair and might not be enforced. Now, note, some states like Illinois have laws that say you can't enforce a non-solicit provision if you lay off an employee without cause. So, again, check with counsel if you're unsure of your state's laws. Fourth, Limit the non-solicitation to customers with whom the outgoing employee worked or had direct substantive communication. Don't try to be overly broad and say, you can't work with any customer of the company. A court won't enforce that because that kind of restriction would include customers that the employee never knew about or vice versa. And that's the kind of overbroad language that courts will not enforce. Fifth, do your damn best to get an employee to agree to your non-solicit provision as part of his or her employment agreement. It is much harder to enforce a non-solicitation provision that was signed after the employment began, as opposed to a provision that was a material requirement at the outset of an employment arrangement. So get that up front. Sixth, give the employee an opportunity to have the non-solicit restriction reviewed by his or her counsel, and give them at least 14 days to do it. Now, your employee might accept the offer sooner than that, right? They might accept it within a day or two. But you have to, or at least I would say you should, give them the opportunity to have it reviewed by counsel first. So, 
Is that it? Are MSPs limited by ever-changing state laws to protect the poaching of their employees? No. There is another strategy that every MSP should be using to protect their employees from would-be employers. Is it a non-solicitation agreement? Not really. I prefer to think of this strategy as the first cousin of non-solicitation agreements. We're now going to talk about no-poaching agreements. Now, unlike non-solicitation agreements, which are usually between employers and employees, a no-poaching agreement is an agreement between businesses not to solicit each other's employees. You see, it's different than a non-solicit provision. No-poaching provisions are between businesses, right? Between your company and your customer, who presumably is also a company. And they don't require an employee's knowledge or consent. Now, where are these kinds of provisions best situated? Where are you going to put them? Well, if you've been listening to me speak at industry events or on any, or I should say many, of my prior broadcasts, then you know that a non-poaching provision should be in your master services agreement, that global agreement that each of your business customers accepts before you provide your services. Remember, this is a business-to-business transaction. Your business and your company, and your customer rather, which is also a business, can agree not to poach each other's employees if you follow certain rules. So what rules might those be? Glad you asked. First, make sure you define what an employee is. Okay, An employee should be defined as someone with whom your customer worked and or had direct business-related communications. Okay, Someone with whom your customer worked or had direct business-related communications. Don't be overbroad. If your employee never worked with a, you know, with, with a customer in any substantive way, then don't try to enforce a non-poaching provision in that case. Limit the no-poaching scope to your employees who worked with the other party. Second, limit the no-poaching restriction to one year after your business relationship ends with your customer. Now, can you go for more? Maybe. But you know what? It's bad karma, and in many cases, it will be looked at unfavorably by courts. So stick with one year, just like I told you to do in the uh, non-solicit provisions, right? Stick with one year, and don't push your luck. Third, include a financial remedy for the breach of your no-poaching provision. Now, why would you do that? Why would we put a financial remedy in the, in the document? The answer is, because if you don't include a remedy then at some point in the future, you'll have to prove what your damages are, and that might be hard to do. How do you prove how much it costs your business when a customer hires away your best employee? It's tough. It's very tough. And it's expensive to prove these kinds of actual damages. So avoid that situation by including a financial remedy up front. But what should that remedy be? Right? Well, if you call me, we can talk about it, but generally you need to think of things like, uh, for example, how much time and effort and money did you put into finding that employee? How much time and effort and money did you put into training that employee? How much did you spend trying to get that employee to the point where he or she, you know, was really a key person in your organization? 
How much knowledge transfer took place? How much time did your staff spend in getting that employee to the point where he or she just became worthy of protection? How much will it cost you to offboard that employee and temporarily bring in someone to cover that person's job? How much will it cost you to do it all over again? Advertise for another employee, train that employee, give the education and experience to that person to make that person profitable? We're talking about a lot of money, right? Maybe $100,000, $150,000, could be. Think about that when you're coming up with a financial remedy. And if you're not sure about it, call me or call your counsel. But give serious thought to it because it's important and enforceable stuff. So, my closing message. Be careful with non-solicitation provisions, but always include non-poaching agreements in your master service agreements with your customers. I just saved you tens of thousands of dollars, maybe hundreds of thousands. You're welcome. Okay. That's it for this week. If you have questions for the Sultan of Service Contracts, feel free to email me at info at bradleygross.com or call 954-217-6225. I'll see you on the next Technology Bradcast.